Would you welcome to the pulpit here at Faith Christian Center, Brother Tony Cook. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, while you're standing, let's just go ahead and pray and thank God for this time. Father, so good to be in a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. Lord, where your name is glorified and where the Holy Spirit is free and at liberty to touch our hearts and change our lives. And Father, as we come today, we do so giving you all the glory all the honor and the praise for everything that you've done in our life. And Lord, not just for the things that you have done, but for the good things that you're going to do. Lord, we expect wonderful things to happen here today. We thank you that you're going to speak to our hearts. And Father, whatever needs are present, we just thank you that your, your power, your comfort, your grace, your ability, your anointing is flowing in our midst right now to touch and heal and change lives. Father, we expect to leave here today differently than the way in which we came because of your influence in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. It is an absolute joy to be uh, back here in Seekonk. I don't remember, Pastor John, the first time it was, uh, you know, way back when uh, Pastor Sam was here and just have great memories here. I have never been here and, and you all have treated me bad. Uh, you've always been very nice to me, so, uh, and it's always been great to uh, uh, come up and be a part of, of what God's doing here. Uh, as Pastor John mentioned, we did just come in from Zambia, and I, I left my tie over there. I don't, I, we can't find it, so I must have left it in Zambia. So if I happen to preach kind of good today, it's because I'm wearing Pastor John's tie. <laughs> so... Now, if I preach bad, I don't know what that means. That, that means I needed more help than just a tie, I guess. But um, we did just have a wonderful time. We, um, that was uh, my third trip to Zambia. My wife and I have been in uh, 22 nations and 46 states. And uh, I, I'm saying that to thank you because uh, your church for some time has helped us on a monthly basis. And so because you guys are great givers to your church, uh, you're able to help many other ministers, missionaries, different ones. And uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, one of the main things that we do, uh, just so you'll know where, you know, what we do with it is um, we have a, a, a website that reaches leaders, missionaries, and pastors in 175 nations every year. Uh, with teaching, training, equipping resources. And so that's able to go in a lot more places than we can go physically. So uh, we want to thank you for your faithful giving and, and support to this great church. And, and that in turn enables the church to do things uh, you know, well beyond its uh, four walls. So thank you so much. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to be sharing with you today predominantly about the grace of God. And uh, where would we be without the grace of God? We all know John Newton's wonderful song, Amazing Grace. And we know the first line of that, Amazing Grace. How does it go? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we could, you know, do the whole thing. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I want to talk to you today not only about the saving grace of God, but I want to talk to you about grace to live with. Not just grace to kind of give you a get out of jail free card. Not just grace to get your old sins forgiven. And thank God grace does that. But I want to talk to you not just about a grace that caused you to become a Christian, but I want to talk to you about the grace that enables you to live powerfully and victoriously in this life. I believe very strongly that God doesn't just have grace to get us going, but God has grace to keep us going. And probably, you know, we could give all kinds of biblical and theological and spiritual definitions about grace, but I want to tell you a little story as we begin today that I think probably illustrates grace for our minds uh, as well as anything I know. And, and it goes back to an old cartoon character named Dennis the Menace. How many of you know 
Dennis the Menace. He was known for being a little bit on the mischievous side. Uh, he had a, a neighbor that he tended to irritate quite a bit named Mr. Wilson. But Mrs. Wilson was just a sweetheart. She was just as sweet and grandmotherly and kind as could be. And, and one day uh, in this cartoon uh, caption, Dennis the Menace, and you remember his little buddy Joey, his little sidekick, his little friend? Dennis and Joey are leaving the home of Mrs. Wilson. And their hands are loaded with as many cookies as they can carry. And Dennis says to Joey, Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve all these cookies. And Dennis responds, says back to Joey, as you can imagine Dennis would say, he said, oh, Joey, he said, Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're nice. She gives us cookies because she's nice. Think about that. Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're nice. She gives us cookies because she's nice. If you can understand and appreciate that little cartoon quip, then you have a, a good foundation to understand what the grace of God is all about. God did not give us Jesus. God did not give us blessings God did not give us forgiveness and salvation and everything that God has given us. He didn't give us any of that because we're good. He gave us all of that because He's good. And if we can, if we can keep that in mind as we go through the Bible, as we endeavor to walk with God and serve God and trust God and believe God, we, we have to understand it all starts with Him. It doesn't start with us. We are the recipient of certain things of God, and thank God we are, things that we receive by faith. But anything that we receive by faith, it had its origin in His goodness toward us. God is a good God. I like to say it this way. When we were at our absolute worst, God gave us His very best. God did not wait until you got your act together God didn't wait until you got serious about spiritual things. God didn't wait until you uh, cleaned up your act before you ever even thought about God. Uh, actually, before you and I were even born, God had already provided an answer for every single one of our problems. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. There's something really true about the fact that He is the Alpha and the Omega, that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, he started it and He's going to continue it and He's going to continue His work in our lives through the grace of God. Uh, I, I've got you in 1 Corinthians 15 and I, we'll look there in just a second, but let me just quote a verse uh, from, first, uh, from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. In Jeremiah 31 3, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn you to myself. I want to talk for a minute, before we get into 1 Corinthians 15, I want to talk about God's everlasting love for you and for me. What does it mean when God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love? That's the same as saying He has loved us with an eternal love. And our tendency is to think of eternal as something that oh, maybe starts now and continues indefinitely into the future with no ending point. But that's not all that eternity is. There's not just eternity future, but there's eternity past. I don't understand this idea of God having no beginning. That's bigger than my brain can, can figure out. But I'm glad that God is bigger than my brain. Because if He weren't bigger than my brain, I'd be in trouble. And if He weren't bigger than my brain, you'd be in trouble. If I have a God that I can figure out and put in my brain, He's not big enough. 
But somehow, some way, we have a God who has existed from eternity past and, and brings us into life everlasting toward eternity future. And when God says he has loved us with an everlasting love or an eternal love, what that means is, in part, is that there's absolutely no beginning point to that. Let me say it this way. Uh, there has never been a point in time where God did not love you. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He didn't wait until you were born to see if you were cute enough to love you. He loved you before you were born, before your parents were born. He loved you from before the foundation of the world. He has loved you with an everlasting love. Let me tell you four things real quickly that that means to us today. Number one, it means that God never started loving you. He never started loving you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. It's eternal. There's no beginning point to it. God never started loving you. Number two, God will never stop loving you. He will love you with an eternal love toward the future. Here's number three. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You know, the tithes and offerings just went by a few moments ago. And everybody had an opportunity to honor God with, and I loved what Pastor Mike said, with his tithes. You know, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And everybody had a chance to honor God with tithes and offerings. Did you know that if you gave one more dollar in the offering, God wouldn't have loved you more? And here's the other thing. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God never started loving you. God, never, uh, God will never stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Now, that doesn't mean that what you and I do is of no importance. There are all kinds of things I can do that will, if I'm living in obedience to God and, and serving others and blessing others and making good decisions and operating in obedience and the wisdom of God, there's all kinds of things I can do that will make my life a better life. And there's all kinds of wrong decisions I can make and dumb things I can do and unwise decisions and wrong actions and disobedience. There's all kinds of things I can do to make my life harder and worse. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But even though there are things I can do responding to God positively that will improve my life, and there are things I can do in terms of uh, lack of wisdom and disobedience that will hurt my life, there's still nothing I can do to make God love me more or make God love me less. God loves us with an everlasting love. And the Bible says, therefore, with loving kindness, He has drawn us unto Himself. Now, we use a term a lot of times that, you know, there came a point in my life where I decided to accept Jesus, where I prayed the sinner's prayer, where I gave my life to God. How many of you can remember that point in time in your life where you recognized, you know, whether you'd been a real bad sinner or a pretty good sinner, you recognized that you still had to have forgiveness and you still needed to be uh, become uh, by the grace of God a child of God and you recognize that, that uh, you know you were never going to earn your forgiveness you weren't going to be good enough or do enough rituals or do enough religious things to earn salvation you, you realize that salvation was a gift from God and so you said, Jesus, I recognize that you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood for me. You were raised from the dead for me. So, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I trust in you, what you did. I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in you. And, and, and you were born again. How many of you remember that point in time? And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to say, yes, I gave my life to God. I did this, I prayed that prayer, I put my faith in Jesus, as though somehow we were the author and the originator of that. Well, it's true that you did make a decision, but I want you to know that your decision wasn't the beginning point of all that. 
God had loved you with an everlasting love before you were ever born. And God was working behind the scenes through the power of the Holy Spirit by sending laborers across your path, by making sure that you heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you did accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you weren't starting something. You weren't initiating something. You were responding to what began in the heart of God from eternity past. And when you said yes, what happened was is that he completed the drawing you unto himself that he had been working on from eternity past to make sure that you were in a position to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. I want you to know the grace of God refers to the fact that God has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in responding and accepting, but what it means is that God has really done all the work. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, that was Jesus doing all the work. And, and what we do is we accept by faith what he did for us. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I gave you about a 10-minute uh, head start on that. It took me a while to get there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, the Apostle Paul makes a really powerful statement. And he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now can I tell you something about Saul of Tarsus, the guy who later became known as Paul? If you had met him before he met Jesus you would probably not have liked him very much. He was a very angry person. He was a very hostile person. He was vicious, and he actually liked to hurt people. Uh, he uses the term of himself that he was injurious, that he inflicted injury upon people. He actually was going almost like a rabid dog from city to city to find people who were Christians and to throw them in jail. And if they got killed in the process, well, that's just how it works. And, and he, he, Paul was, before he got born again, he was, by modern definition, he was a terrorist. He was terrorizing Christians. He was attacking and persecuting them for no other cause than that they held to a different ideology or belief system than what he held. He was determined to hurt people. And even though he had met Jesus and received forgiveness, he could still remember historically what he had done. I want you to know that you, you and I may not have been a bad person like that. Or, you know, we may have been good by human standards or societal standards. But the fact of the matter remains, the Bible says that every single one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why I say it, whether we were a bad sinner or a good sinner, we were still a sinner and we still needed forgiveness. We still needed mercy. We still needed the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. And so Paul could remember historically what was no longer true redemptively. Aren't you glad that through redemption, through what Jesus did on the cross that your history doesn't matter anymore in terms of the eternal scope of things. Now, we may have some memories to deal with or we may have some thoughts to deal with or people may hold some things against us, but I want you to know when you come into Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are a new creature, old things are passed away. And so Paul was saying that just naturally speaking, historically speaking, I was a really bad guy. I, I, I was such a bad guy that I was hurting people and things like that. But aren't you glad that, that our story and that Paul's story doesn't end with our historical behavior? In verse 10, he makes this statement, but, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
redemptively, you're someone different than you are historically. You have, when you come into the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. You have a new uh, destiny. You have a new uh, relationship with God. You have a new nature. Whatever your background is, you can say, I used to do this in the natural, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace, His ability, His power, and His love working in our lives turns us into something that we could have never been based on our old behavior, based on our old lifestyle. We, the grace of God gives us a brand new beginning. Now, I grew up in, in a mainline denominational church, and I, I pray this doesn't come across critically because I certainly don't mean it to, but I had the impression in church, a few ideas that I had, number one, that God was typically mad most of the time, that God kind of stood off at a far distance and, and watched us very carefully and kept track of every little mistake we did, and that uh, God to me was not a real approachable person. He was predominantly a fault finder, and I would go to church... Um, kind of out of a guilty conscience and I, I would believe, even though I'd say I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I believed in the Bible, I, I, I believed all those things, yet I wasn't really sure if I died if I would go to heaven or not because I thought, well, maybe I haven't been quite good enough. Maybe I haven't done enough good things. Maybe I, maybe I skipped church a few too many times. And, and I really thought that my getting into heaven or not getting into heaven was going to be based on how good I was. And, and there's all kinds of people all over the world in, in their, their, they're sincere in their thinking, but they're not, they're not embracing the truth of the Bible. Because the truth of the Bible is this, you can never be good enough to make it into heaven on your own. You can never be perfect enough to make it into heaven on your own. You can never be religious enough to make it into heaven on your own. And even though I said I believed in God and said I believed in Jesus, in reality I was trusting in myself, hoping that I had been good enough, done enough good things and, and that type of thing in order to be accepted by God. I am so thankful somebody loved me enough to tell me, Tony, it's not about how good you are. It's not about how perfect you are. It's not about how religious you are uh, because you'll never be good enough, never be perfect enough, never be religious enough. Heaven's not for good, perfect, or religious people. Heaven is for one type of person and one type of person only, and that is a forgiven person. And forgiveness is not something we earn by trying to be good enough. Forgiveness is something we receive because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead. He shed his blood. And it's no longer a matter of me trying. It's a matter of me trusting. Because all of my trying is based on my effort, but my trusting is based on his accomplishments. Forgiveness is not something we achieve, it's something we receive. It is a gift that we receive from God. I want to I look the, today at just a couple of different ways that God's grace works in our life. Because what I just described is what we would call saving grace. But unfortunately, many Christians only know of one type of grace. They don't realize that the grace of God, the ability of God, and the power of God will work in all areas of their life, not just spiritually to get them forgiven. Right now, we're sitting in a beautiful sanctuary, and whether you realize it or not, uh, I mean, I know you know this, but you're probably not thinking about it, we are benefiting right now from electricity. And electricity is flowing into this building through some wires from some electrical plant somewhere, 
And, and several things in this building right now are operating because of electricity. The light bulbs and, and the light, the illumination that we have in this room is coming because of electricity. My voice is being amplified through a sound system right now because the, the speakers are receiving power from electricity and the soundboard back there is receiving the same electrical energy. Uh, if they're, when, when the words were up on the screens, they were being projected by video projectors that were shining because of electricity. If you listen real, if we get real quiet, you may hear an air conditioner blowing. And we're getting some fresh, cool air in here because of electricity. So we can say that, well, electricity is electricity. But when you stop and think about it, electricity does all kinds of things based on what it's flowing into and what is receiving the electricity. The same way you and I can say, well, grace is grace. But did you know that God's grace will do different things in our life depending on which part of our life we yield to and receive His influence in our life? What areas of our life we receive His ability, His love, His power? See, I, there was a time in my life where, number one, I didn't even understand saving grace. And I was trying to be good enough and hoping I was good enough. And I didn't even understand saving grace. And when somebody finally helped me understand that the gospel is good news, not because it demands perfection from me, but because it provides forgiveness for me. And, and I understood, okay, grace is what saves me. It, it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved me. It, it kept me from a destiny of hell and gave me not only a destiny of heaven, but made me a child of God right here and right now. But can I tell you what happened in my Christian life after I accepted Jesus? I thought that God had used His grace to get me saved, to cause me to be born again, to cause me to become a child of God but because I didn't know anything else, I thought that from that point forward, now it's up to me. It's up to me to measure up to all these standards. It's up to me to overcome temptation and worldly influences. It's up to me. In other words, God had a gracious gift to get me into the kingdom. But once I came into the kingdom or the family of God, now God stands back and says, Okay, now I've given you this free gift of forgiveness. Let's see what you can do. And, and once again, I get back, Okay, I've got to try I've got to try. How many of you found out that when you tried to live the Christian life trusting in your own strength, your own willpower, and, and your own efforts, your own energy, that you continually fell short? See, what I didn't know, I, I knew that God had grace for my initiation. I just didn't know that God had grace for my continuation. So let's talk about some of the different expressions of the grace of God, just like electricity will produce light and sound and images and air. Uh, let's look at what all electricity, I'm sorry, what grace will produce in our life. Number one, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians the second chapter. And we're going to look at the grace that we've been talking about, which is saving grace. You have to start there. I mean, if you're playing the game of baseball, you'd better go to first base first. You don't try to go to third base. You start, you know, in, in the proper order of things. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the what? It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is probably the most popular verse in the Bible about the grace of God. Because it is so concise, it is so direct. By grace, you have been saved through faith. I want you to notice that grace 
and faith work together. Grace is what God has done. Faith is what we accept. Grace is the hand of God reaching down to us with our answer. And faith is us saying, Lord, thank you for that gift. Faith is not a work. It's that we don't work up. And, and notice what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Even your faith did not originate with you. Your faith came by you having heard the word of God. So the origin of your faith is not you sitting around saying, oh, I'm going to try to have faith. Oh, I'm going to really try. Okay, God, I'm trying. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm gritting my teeth. I, my body's tense. I'm flexing my muscles. I'm, I'm going to have faith this time. You don't work up faith that way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This is the source of faith. Did you write this book? Who inspired this book? The Holy Spirit. So, but when we hear, we're, when, uh, hearing is another way of receiving, accepting. Uh, when we hear the word, it begins to generate faith in our heart. What is that faith about? The faith that is stirred up in our heart connects to the grace of God. So in other words, we could say it this way. By grace, that's what God has done. Are you saved through faith? That's you accepting it. And none of this is originating with you. It really is all the gift of God. So none of us have any reason to say, well, look what I've done with my faith. It's the gift of God. He, he, any faith that I have, it's because he, he, he's good. Okay? One person said, a good way to remember grace is this. Uh, look at it as an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E. And let each of those letters be the first letter of another word. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense expense. Now, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we need to look at this again. For by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, you've been saved through faith. That's through your accepting his gift. It's, it's not of, of yourselves. You didn't generate it. You didn't originate it. It is the gift of God. It is not of your works. You don't have anything to brag about. You don't have anything to boast about. But notice the next verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What are those next few words? For good works. Now wait a minute. Now we're getting the other side of the coin. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. In other words, works things that you might do are never the cause of your salvation, but they might be the result of your salvation. Works are not the root of salvation, but they are the fruit of your salvation. See, some people have heard about grace and, and they, here's the message they get. Grace, it's all about what God did, has nothing to do with me. It's not of works. So that means I never have to do anything. I just kick back and God just does everything. I don't do anything. And they turn into lazy, irresponsible Christians. But if we don't, if, if we don't just stop with verses 8 and 9, but we begin reading in verse 10 all of a sudden we find out grace doesn't mean that you never do anything. It means that you don't do anything in order to earn your salvation, but the same grace that causes you to be saved will begin to work in your heart and it will begin to produce certain results. 
we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Now, let me give you, we're talking about saving grace right now. Let me talk to you about another kind of grace. If we were using electricity, maybe I just talked to you about lights, but now we're going to talk about the sound system. We've been talking about saving grace, but now we're going to talk about something called sanctifying grace. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. I know people, and I'm sorry to say this, who have so misunderstood the grace of God that they think the fact that God has saved us by grace means that well, sin doesn't matter anymore. God doesn't care if I sin. My daughter was driving with somebody and they backed into another car and dented the other car. And instead of stopping and leaving their name and phone number and insurance information, uh, this person drove off. And my daughter said, um, you know, uh, aren't you supposed to and, and the person driving the car said, oh, no, we're under grace. <laughs> Listen, grace is not a cop-out. Grace doesn't mean that you can just do whatever and it doesn't matter. Sin still matters. Sin matters so much that Jesus died for all of our sins. Now, that doesn't mean we have to wallow in guilt and shame. I mean, no, we should accept forgiveness... And, and move forward in our lives to the glory of God, but it doesn't mean that we take a flippant, irresponsible, careless attitude uh, toward things that just are plain wrong. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Titus, the second chapter, and the 11th verse says, For the grace of God that brings salvation... So we understand something that grace does, God's grace, it brings salvation to us and it has appeared to all men. To say that the grace of God has appeared to all men is, is similar to saying it's available to everyone. Now it doesn't mean that all men have received it. There's a real dangerous teaching that is getting real popular in some circles today uh, called universalism, and that means that, well, because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, then everybody's going to be saved and everybody's going to be in heaven and things like that, which, which appears to be true from the Bible if you throw out about 500 verses. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't just say God's grace just automatically affects everybody. It says by grace through faith. So faith is man's response. And, and so the Bible says, Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared or been made available to all men, teaching us. Look at verse 12. That grace, it brings salvation, and, 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 and then of course we receive salvation, but then the grace begins to teach us something. Again, grace is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just a free ticket to heaven. The same grace that does get us saved and keeps us from hell and causes us to be born again, it, it begins to teach us something. And it's interesting because in the Greek language, that word teaching is a word that means training, the way a parent would train a child. Well, why does a parent train a child? So that the child will grow up. So that the child will mature. So that the child will be able to make good decisions. The grace of God that brought salvation to us also begins to teach or train us so that we can grow up, so that we can mature, so that we can learn to make good decisions. But ex exactly and specifically, what does the grace of God teach us? Teaching us that denying... What does, what does it mean to deny something? It means to say no to it. 
means to resist it. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live. See, grace doesn't just get you forgiven. Grace teaches us how to live. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Here's one way to think about this. Grace, the grace of God, is never divine permission to do wrong. It's divine empowerment to do right. See, that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was predominantly law. The New Testament is predominantly grace. And the Old Testament said, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. But the problem was the law demanded us to obey, but we couldn't do it. Oh, we tried and we did some things right, but just, you know, and and part of the problem with the law is that when the law said don't do this, there was something in our nature that said, oh, well, why not? You take a little kid and you put on your kitchen counter a, a blue cookie jar and a red cookie jar. And if that child is of a certain age, now maybe your child was perfect and didn't do this kind of thing, But you tell that child, now, you can eat all the cookies you want from the blue cookie jar, but don't get anything out of the red cookie jar. If you were like I was when I was a little kid, I'd I'd have some out of the blue cookie jar, but I'd be thinking, what's in that red cookie jar? (laughs) You know, the very fact that somebody says don't kind of stirs up a... Well, why not? The law demanded obedience, but the grace of God teaches you how to obey. The grace of God gives you the ability to overcome things that you could never overcome in your own strength. The grace of God is never divine permission to do wrong. The grace of God is the divine empowerment to do the right thing. Now there's another expression of grace that we're going to call strengthening grace. Strengthening grace. And I'd like you to look in your Bibles in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. So God's grace doesn't just get us started, but God's grace keeps us going. You remember in John Newton's song, he did say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But you know what else he said? He said, Tis grace hath brought us safe thus far, and grace shall lead us home. God doesn't just have grace to put you on the path, but God has grace for every step of your journey. And I just wonder how many Christians acknowledge, yeah, Jesus saved me because I couldn't save myself, but from here on out, it's just up to me to try real hard and that type of thing. Instead of trusting Jesus for salvation and then trusting God for help and empowerment all along the journey. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, there's a wonderful verse there that says, Romans 5, 17, If by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Now that means that Adam got us into trouble. And the decision Adam made has been causing all of humanity problems ever since. If, If Adam got us into this mess by his disobedience, the Bible says much more... Everybody say much more. more. I want you to know that the the redemption that Jesus provided is greater than the sin that bound us. Much more, those who receive what? Abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. If you receive the gift of righteousness and and what kind of grace? Just a, a little grace? 
No, the abundance of grace. If you receive the abundance of grace, the Bible says you will reign. And who reigns in life? R-E-I-G-N. A king. Who else? A queen, a prince, a princess. Royalty reigns. I want you to know when God made you righteous through Jesus Christ, He didn't just, you know, it's not just a little transaction that He wrote on a little piece of paper. Okay, this person's now forgiven. He made you something. You're a new creation created in Christ Jesus. He gave you a new nature. And, and when you receive not just a little bit of grace, but when you receive the abundance of God's grace, the Bible says you will begin to reign in life. You'll begin to live like royalty. You'll be like a king or a queen. You'll be ruling and reigning over life. Life won't be trampling you down. You're going to be sitting on a throne with authority, with power, with glory, not because of you, but because of the grace of God that you've received. The grace of God is not just the love of God and the power of God that makes you a new creature, but it's the, it, it's the ability and the love and the power of God coming into your life, enabling you to live a holy life, enabling you to live a victorious life. Let me real quickly share with you another type of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 there's something that I'm going to call sharing grace. Sharing grace. And this has to do, believe it or not, with God's ability to help us in our financial life. Now, I know there, nothing bothers me more than people that just treat the gospel like it's about nothing else except money. And they're totally money-minded. They don't think about anything but money and how to get your money and, and things like that. I, that turns me off as much as that turns anybody off. But at the same time, if we're going to be true to the Bible, we've got to believe the things that the Bible does say about money. It doesn't mean we need to be covetous. It doesn't mean we need to be greedy. It doesn't mean we need to be dishonest. But, you know, the Bible does say some things about about our, our stewardship of the resources that God blesses us with. And, and I want you to know today, God doesn't just love you spiritually. You know, God cares about your body. God cares about your finances. God cares about your family. God cares about your dog. God cares about everything that concerns you. And, and God's grace is not just limited to giving you spiritual peace or spiritual joy. And, and look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Paul says, And God is able to make all, what? Grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now, what's interesting about this verse, and by the way, does anybody have an Amplified Bible sitting up here close? Anybody? Could, could you bring that to me, someone who's close right here? Okay, Brother Ray, don't you love Brother Ray? Oh, oh, all right, thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Brother. I love you too. I just... What's interesting about this verse where the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things. And he's talking about material things here. He said that in the context in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul is talking entirely about a financial offering that was being sent to poor Christians over in Israel, the, the, Corinth is in Greece, and, and the Christians in Israel had experienced two things. Number one, they had experienced a very terrible famine, and number two, they had experienced great persecution. And the Christians in Israel were really, really struggling. And so to the churches that were in Greece and Turkey, 
Paul received money from them and took it to the Christians in Israel. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a financial relief offering to some people that were really suffering. Just last week, you all gave very generously to people in Joplin, Missouri who are suffering, not because of persecution or famine, but because of an F5 tornado that went through and destroyed 50% of their city. Do you think there's any similarity? Do you think God was pleased when they helped the struggling saints in Israel? Do you think God was pleased when you, out of love and generosity, gave to help? And I, I will say, as Pastor John shared, I've known that pastor for probably 20 years. And, and their church is not a... It's, it wouldn't be what you'd consider a financially rich church. It's a little bit kind of, of a blue-collar church. But that church, for years, not just with this crisis, but they have had a food pantry, and they have, for a smaller church that's not really a wealthy church, they have done amazing things to feed their community, clothe their community, serve their community. Uh, so I am so thankful that you bless that church and, and they will take that and use that in, in a great way to make a big impact in a lot of people. But just like you've just given a great gift of love, the church in Corinth was in the process of giving a great gift of love. And here's how this reads in the Amplified Bible. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing Come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Isn't that powerful? Here you go. Thanks so much. But what Paul is saying here is that God just doesn't love you in, in terms of your spiritual needs. God cares about your material needs too. And just like his grace is able to energize you and enable you to live a holy life, enable you to live a victorious life through sanctifying and strengthening grace, his sharing grace is able to come to you in such a powerful way that it results in financial blessings in your life so that you can have every need of yours met and so that you can always have enough to be a blessing to other people who are in need as well. And then there's one final expression of grace, and that is what we're going to call serving grace. And I want you to look in your Bibles, please, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse 10. Serving grace, I'm sorry, yeah, serving grace is God's ability depositing or imparting certain gifts or talents into your life so that you can use them to serve other people. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift. And he's talking here in the context of, if you go back to verse 8, love one another. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another. And then he says in verse 10, As each one has received a gift minister it or serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, see some people are graced with a teaching gift or a preaching gift. And so he says if, if your gift is in preaching or teaching, something visible, something public, then, you know, speak as of the oracles of God. Don't just get up and give your opinions, but if your gift is in teaching or preaching, then teach or preach what God says. And then he says, uh, but if anyone ministers or if anyone serves, that word minister means to serve. See, there are some people that are called to serve behind the pulpit, but most people are called to serve behind the scenes. But he says everybody in the church has received some type of gift, some type of ability. If it happens to be a speaking gift, then say what God says. 
If it happens to be a serving gift where you serve somewhere else in some other capacity that doesn't involve preaching, then it says do it with the ability that God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be the, belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So there are at least, in Scripture, there are at least five different ways that God's grace wants to be working in our lives. Saving grace is first. And saving grace is the ability of God that brings us out of darkness. It's His love and His power that, that redeems us, forgives us, and makes us a new creature. But thank God, God doesn't just get us by saving grace and then leave us on our own. He gives us sanctifying grace. And that's His ability to help us say no to the junk of life and say yes to the real treasures of life. To say no to sin, to say yes to righteousness. It's His power and ability to help us live a holy life so that we don't have to overcome our habits and our hang-ups and our old tendencies just by gritting our teeth and trying real hard. No, it's the grace of God at work in our life energizing us and empowering us. And then there's strengthening grace, and that's His ability to help us live a victorious life and to overcome all the all the pressures and problems of life and then they're sharing grace and that's God's power to meet our needs materially and to make us generous to others and then there is serving grace which is God's love power and ability that enable us to have some kind of gift or talent or skill or aptitude that we can put into practice and serve other people with in the church and even in the world we're here to serve other people so saving grace, here's another way to think of it. Saving grace will keep you from being lost. Sanctifying grace will keep you from getting corrupted. Strengthening grace will keep you from being defeated. Sharing grace will keep you from lack and selfishness. And serving grace will keep you from being unproductive. Saving grace is the impartation of God's forgiveness into your life. Sanctifying grace is the impartation of God's holiness into your life. I don't mean man-made rules and regulations. I mean real Christ-likeness. The impartation of God's holiness. Uh, strengthening grace is the impartation of God's power into your life. Sharing grace is the impartation of God's generosity into your life. And strengthening grace is the impartation of God's abilities into your life. Skills, talents, abilities into your life. Now I'm going to wrap up here pretty soon, but I would do you a real disservice if I told you all this wonderful stuff about grace, but didn't tell you how to operate in it. How do, you, how do you get it operating? How do you receive the abundance of grace? How do you get grace operating and how do you cooperate with grace? I'm going to give you four things real quick. Number one, the first way that we tap into or access the grace of God. And keep in mind, this I'm not talking about how to earn the grace of God. Because if we talk about earning the grace of God, it immediately ceases being grace. This is, this is like an, an entrance ramp onto a freeway. You, this is how you access this great river of grace that God has. Number one is by faith. And I'm just going to give you these scriptures real quick. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Just like we'd say, we have access by the doors into the sanctuary. You have access by faith into the grace. God can offer grace to you and have all kinds of grace available to you, but if you don't accept it by faith, and faith is just simply saying, God, I believe what you said in your word. I accept your gift. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept your gift of strength. I accept, you know... It's by faith that we have access into grace. 
So we want to make sure that we're people who, we are people who trust God, who believe God's word. But we, we need to understand that we're not just having faith in ourselves. We're not having faith in our faith. We're having faith in God's grace. Who God is and what God has done and what God is doing for us now. The second way that we access the grace of God is through knowledge. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says that grace and peace are multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God. And that word knowledge there, it's not, there, there are different Greek words for knowledge. And this is not a Greek word that means just a little bit of head knowledge, factual information. Uh, you know, for example, I can read about George Washington in a book, and so I know a little bit about George Washington, but I don't know George Washington. I could go on the website and I could read about Pastor John. You know, there's probably a little biographical sketch there. And I could know a little bit about Pastor John. But it's different now that he and I have been able to sit down and have fellowship together, break bread together, have many different visits and conversations. I don't just know about Pastor John. I know Pastor John. And the word that Peter used when he said grace and peace are multiplied to you through the knowledge of God is the word that means to know someone personally and up close and you know them in a full personal way. doesn't just mean you have a little bit of factual information about God, but when you know God, then His grace is multiplied to you. Well, how do we know God? Well, we know God through the Bible, the Word of God. We know God by His Spirit. I think also we can know God through one another. You know, when somebody shows the love of God to you, you don't just get to know that person, but God becomes real to you because some other person expresses God's nature. That's why we need to stick together in church and, and not forsake the assembling of ourselves because we, we come to know Him through the preached Word, through the lived Word. You know, I, I can hear somebody preach and, and, and come to know God, but when somebody lives the Word, I can see, when somebody is compassionate toward me, I can say, oh, that God's that. That's God's compassion. So grace and peace are multiplied to us through the knowledge of God. Number three, humility. Humility. James chapter 4 verse 6 says that grace and peace, I'm sorry, that's 2 Peter 1 2. Uh, James 4 6 says God gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Uh, one person said this way, uh, the only person that God sends away empty is the person who is full of himself. So when we humble ourselves before God... And, and see, it, it doesn't do any good to go to God and say, God, fill me if we're already full of a bunch of other junk. We have to empty out the junk and then say, God, fill me. But, but we need to come to God hungry and, and, and receptive and eager and desirous, humble. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He exalts you. Why? Because grace does that. God gives more grace. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And fourth and finally, the, the fourth way that we access grace from God is through boldness. Boldness. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now isn't that interesting? We come to the throne of grace and the first thing we get is mercy. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In the time of need. Do you know there's a little bit of a difference between mercy and grace? I think they're both expressions of the love of God, just like different facets of a diamond. But it, it says mercy is the first thing we receive. One person said this, that mercy is us not getting what we did deserve. And grace is us getting what we did not deserve. Anybody here ever missed it? sin, made a mistake, fallen short of God's standard. 
when you come boldly to his throne, the first thing you do is get mercy. You get forgiven. But then you also get grace. See, mercy helps clean you up from the last time you made a mistake. Grace helps you to do it right the next time. God doesn't just deal with your past. God empowers you for your future. Jesus didn't just say, neither do I condemn you, but he said also, go and sin no more. And every time God tells us something, see, grace means that God never commands us to do anything that he doesn't give us the ability to do. If God asks us to do it, then his grace is there to enable us to do it. So I pray this has been helpful. I just, you know, we've just hit a, a quick surface uh, shot of some of these things, but, but I pray that it's helpful. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of all grace. That, Lord, the Bible says you are gracious. And that Jesus, the Bible says, was full of grace. The grace of God was upon him. Lord, that your very throne is a throne of grace. And Lord, we just thank you that your grace is here to help us in all areas of our life. You didn't invite us to live the Christian life in our own strength, on our own effort. But Lord, you asked us to trust in you, believe in you. And Lord, I know there's an obedience part on our end, but we don't even do that by our own strength. We do that by trusting in you and allowing your spirit to energize us. Your grace makes us into someone we could have never been on our own, helps us do things we could have never done in our own ability.